0: Hello to everyone listening. I am Nathan and welcome to the See Brilliance podcast. In this podcast episode, you will hear an amazing story told by an amazing person. And hopefully the story that they will share will reveal something about your life and will encourage the brilliance that resides in you. So let's listen together. So tell me about yourself.
1: Hello, my name is Victoria Abugaliam. I am 26 years old and I'm a PhD candidate at Ohio State. I study environmental social science, but mainly I'm focused on like environmental movement activism in my research. Um, but I'm also a community organizer. So that is kind of what brings me to my research and the passions that I have for it. I guess I could talk a little bit about who I organize with. I mainly organize with the local chapter of the National Sunrise Movement. So Sunrise Columbus, which is a youth-led climate justice organization. They define youth pretty broadly. So I'm still in the age range, I guess. But I focus most of my organizing energy with them. But I'm I'm pretty well connected across, I guess, the local organizing landscape in the city. So individually, I would be probably affiliated with a lot of different things um, that I can't even name off the top of my head. But, and that's kind of how I approach my work and where I'm coming from. I'm also from Ohio. I was born outside of Cleveland, and I went to Cleveland State for my undergraduate education. Really loved it there. And I love being in the city and getting to know it more over the years from when I was a kid to then being an adult and participating in civil life there and then moved here. And so I've lived here for four years and also really enjoying getting to know the city of Columbus.
0: Tell me about your ideal day.
1: I would love to not have to be constrained by time. Like, I, I would love to wake up early enough in the morning, but like not feel like I was in a rush for anything. So maybe like, you know, eight and then kind of take a couple hours to Mm -hmm. myself. So maybe seven, probably to take a couple hours. Yeah. Take a couple hours to myself, make some, something like a warm beverage. Maybe it's tea or coffee that day. Who knows? Make myself a nice breakfast and then spend some time reading or journaling to kind of set my intentions for the day and maybe even for the week and just revisit myself or maybe like do a little bit of exercise or go for a walk with my dog just to kind of like get a nice slow entry into my daily routine. And then during like the growing season in the mornings, I love to go outside and tend my vegetable garden. <laughs> so that would be, be a part of my ideal day. If I could do that every day, that would be amazing because I feel like being outside and working with the earth really grounds me. Ideally, I would be moving into, I guess, my work for that day, which I would hope would have something to do with public engagement, um, being in a community space and like connecting with folks, talking about our goals as a community, and then just working on that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's like my job right now. So right now my ideal day and my current like work includes like, then I would, you know, sit down at the computer, start writing or look over my notes, do some data analysis, follow up on some emails or whatever. And then a nice long lunch break is very ideal for me. I'm a fan of breaks. So I like to kind of soak that up whenever I can. The evenings, I don't know, I'm pretty open to whatever for it to be an ideal day, as long as I'm not feeling rushed. I feel like the short version is an ideal day is I'm not rushed to do anything. <laughs> and I can accomplish my goals in a way that's comfortable for me. And that makes me feel like I'm connected to the community I'm in and the people that I work with.
0: I think that's an ideal day in which you know, I would like to emulate, you know, not having to rush on other people's times and agendas and so forth. And, you know, just being able to ebb and flow to the productivity based upon how my, my body and, and mind are moving too. And so, you know, it makes me think about, and you shared quite a bit about your areas of research and the environmental justice work and community. Activist work you do. And so, you know, what has intrinsic value in your life?
1: Like, I guess I would define intrinsic value as anything that I view as valuable just by virtue of being what it is. I don't think that money is intrinsically valuable, like, we have given that value. But what's always been super valuable to me, and I was actually reflecting on this this morning when I was talking to my friend is that I've always been in community spaces, whether that's with family or with groups of friends growing up and like the teams we were on, you know, whatever, like soccer, being in the band and whatever situation it was, I've always been in community spaces and it's always meant so much to me because I really feel like being in a community gives my life more of a purpose and gives me something that I know I can work towards that's bigger than myself, that will take care of me and I can take care of it as well. So community is very intrinsically valuable to me in that regard. And I also feel like it's one of the only real... I guess for lack of a better word, like real things that we still have access to in our daily lives. But it's not normal to have like a strong, healthy community, I don't think. Like I think a lot of people are pretty isolated, especially now, like throughout the pandemic. So the more I grow and learn, I think the more that being in community spaces becomes even more valuable to me over time. And I hope that I can always return to that Being outside and just like grounding myself in the earth and being able to take some time away from all of the built things, all of the built reality, the built structures that we have made and and developed or however we want to refer to it, like being outside and just being in the natural realm is very intrinsically valuable to me as well.
0: I think you share some very valuable, in which being in tune and grounded. So actually, getting your hands and your feet in soil really makes a difference. Especially, you know, now you know being trapped up inside concrete or brick and mortar walls all the time, and not really going out and feeling the sun, even though it's cold right now. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> but still, and so it kind of makes me want to know who was the younger victorian so describe a younger victorian who is she
1: how young do we want to go like should i be a baby in this scenario (laughs) or like a child
0: well let's let's just say um child maybe like seven eight nine something like the
1: formative years
0: oh there we go
1: Yeah. And I think there's several eras of like formative younger years, but yeah, I could talk about like the late childhood era. Who was I then? It's hard for me to like pinpoint when exactly I've like changed throughout my life. It's easier to pinpoint the constants. Obviously, a huge part of my life was school. Again, a huge part of my life was family. And that continues to be true. I remember when I was that age, a lot of my memories revolve around like, going to family gatherings and there's always so many people there. My cousins were there, like big cohorts of young peers were there. People that I didn't know were there, but everyone was welcome. And there was always food. And for me, it just taught me at a very early age, like what it means to be taken care of. I loved bringing that into my other social circles. So when I was young... I remember I had like a dinner party for my birthday one year and my best friend's mother was like, you're having a dinner party. This is like so grown up of you. And I was just like, I don't know. I just thought it would be cool for us to all like eat together and then (laughs) play games or something. So that's always kind of been a part of who I was. And I mean, I was very fortunate to grow up in a very natural setting. So like where I grew up was right outside of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. And so much of my like early high school, I would say like, especially after I learned how to drive, (laughs) much of my early to late high school years were mostly focused like in my free time on going outside and just exploring with my friends like we would just I don't know honestly like get lost in the woods for like five hours after school until the sun went down come home and just like hang out so being outside and being in nature has always been really important to me as well something that's become less important to me I think is like pop culture (laughs) Uh, I used to be pretty into that but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like more and more of my daily life is just revolving around these like themes of of friendship, family, and and the environment. I also was like an art kid, but I, then I never pursued that as like a serious, I guess, a serious career path. But I really enjoy creating art and creating just creating anything with, with, Mm -hmm. especially with friends. And I feel like that's why I don't do it much now. Like I, I wish I had more time for that.
0: You know, what is uh, like a childhood lesson that still remains true and applicable today?
1: I think something that my parents taught me a lot of, because it's really culturally ingrained for us. Like, so my Mom is from the Philippines and my father's from Lebanon and both of their cultural heritage is focused a lot on like being a good host, being a good friend. I feel like that's a lesson that was taught to me that I've learned and tried to maintain throughout my life is like when you bring people in and welcome them to your space and you in the most literal sense, bring them into your home. You'll always receive positive energy back to you from doing that. Even if you don't see that directly for a while, you never know, like kind of the impacts, the positive impacts that you can have on people. And so it's always worth it to be showing up as a friend in that way. I think that's a a lesson that I've like reflected on a lot and has led me to a lot of the places that I'm at right now. And then of course, the other lesson is like, be yourself and the unique individual that you are and embrace yourself in all of the ways that you show up in this world. And that's a lesson that can be hard to learn sometimes or like might not even notice that you know you're not showing up authentically in a space and it it always like three centers me to come back to that that lesson
0: only if we all practice being a good friend and just being good to all mankind you know that golden rule of uh, treating people the way we want to be treated
1: (laughs) i don't know that i'm always the nicest person ever but i try to be kind
0: (laughs) True, true. Um, yeah, there's been many moments in which I haven't been nice, but I, I tried to step away so I don't go ahead of myself. I think that that brings up a good segue into, you know, has there been a moment in your life where you failed and thought that the world would end and that it will just be the end of the world because of that that one moment?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think the world has like, ended in my mind, maybe like a couple times. And then you always realize like, nah, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be okay. Because life is challenging. And definitely one of the lessons I learned later in life is like, say no to things <laughs> and take care of yourself. Because I feel like that's something that I, I do a lot. It's like I take on a lot and then that load kind of becomes pretty heavy. But I think one of the points in which the world kind of ended for me in a way, and then I was like, then I had to come back and be fine with it, was really, I mean, when I first started graduate school, like I've always been very good in academics. I've never had to like struggle too much to study for tests and whatever. And like, this is the way that our educational system in this country works. So I was very much like it was ingrained in me that Like if I wasn't doing well in school, and this is definitely like a result of being pushed to like excel in academics as a kid. If I wasn't doing well in school, then like, what was I doing? (laughs) That was a good lesson to learn for me, especially now, because I feel like my work has gotten a lot better since I've abandoned that kind of conception that like I have to be excelling at the exams and like, the assignments that I'm given by people above me in a hierarchy in an educational institution. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think you have to do that. I feel like learning is such a flexible and transformative process and you have to be able to go through it in the way that will make you grow as a person and especially as a scholar. So yeah, I mean, when the world ended for me is like the first semester of grad school, I was really struggling in this stats class. And I was like, am I never gonna get this? Like, did someone lie to me? And I'm like, not capable of doing this. And I remember like calling my little sister and being like, what's going on? Am I stupid? Like, how can I continue with this degree? And then I kind of like failed some tests and then came back, got over this moment of self doubt. Like it was really, that's what it was. I mean, it was a mental block. And I feel like, like that's what mostly ever keeps us stuck in the same place is a mental block of like, I can't do this. So after I was like, you know what? I don't care. (laughs) I'm, I'm going to try. I know I'll get this eventually. There are parts of this that I understand, but I just need a little more time. And then eventually it did come around. And like, now I'm post candidacy. I've shown the institution that I'm capable of doing research or whatever. (laughs) So I can move forward. And I don't know, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't like fallen down.
0: yes, candidacy. And yes, proven to the institution that we are worthy and know what we're talking about. All Uh, right. Oh, goodness. I can't wait to be done and to get out. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So when did you discover the agency to fight for environmental justice?
1: It was actually like pretty shortly after that realization, I think. And the more I got involved in my coursework, the more I was kind of like, all of this stuff we study like in social science about, because I I initially started to go and like study like sustainable behavior change, even though I knew that, you know, individual behavior change is not enough. I was like, okay, like we still need to get people to change their lifestyles. If climate change is at all going to be mitigated, right? Because we can't stop it at this point but the more i got involved in my studies i was like you know there's some stuff going on here that people don't really talk about in the individual behavior change world being involved in like a social movement is a legitimate thing that every everyone can do that has way more significant impacts potentially than just like recycling you know and it was it was a combination of like coursework and then continuing to be involved in like some smaller like volunteer service. So like throughout college and high school, I was pretty involved in like volunteering in the national park or the metro parks and just going in and doing some like invasive plant removal or whatever. But I really wanted to get deeper into it. So I was like, okay, I guess it's time for me to start organizing with like a group that is trying to affect social change because That is how we multiply our impact. So then I started doing that probably like late second year of grad school. And that was when my studies and like my ideas and my research really started taking off too, because it's like theory as like a lived experience, like a practice. So I've been very privileged to be able to like learn very in depth about the environmental movement, the environmental justice movement, like the history of that, where it's going now. And then also, be able to bring that to an organizational space and offer that at least like expertise in a very grassroots setting. And we've been able to kind of like strategize and and use some of that knowledge at least. And of course, it's always a collective endeavor to strategize, but I've been happy to bring that to the table. And so that's something that I hope to continue to do in my work for the foreseeable future
0: watch out world. Honestly, some great things are here because of the current work and what you're doing. And so I I think that's important for our our listeners to hear. And so, you know, why should listeners and anyone uh, you might come across with take action towards protecting our environment? I
1: think most people would probably know what I'm about to say, but it's because we all depend on the earth to live. We all need to live in a healthy, sustainable world. As far as it goes right now, like the capitalist economic system and the governance structures that we have that preserve that system does not ensure us any type of safe future. And I mean, this is like indisputable, right? Whether you're talking about the climate science or people who have been involved in this movement since the birth of capitalism have known this to be true, right? And now, now people are just starting to pay attention. So I think like, why should you get involved? Number one, we need an earth to live on. There's no other place to live. We cannot, like, even if we went to Mars, we wouldn't be going. It would be like billionaires that are going to Mars and doing whatever there. And we would be here, you know, bearing the burden of all of this Overproduction and development. So that's number one. Number two, because we're out of time to wait. In my own research, I've talked to people who have mentioned like it is different now than it was when they were young, like the environment. And they've actually watched that occur like across their own life course. And that is crazy. Like we don't have any time to be waiting to act. And the third thing is why you should act because of future generations, which is a lot of what people tell me as well, when I'm doing my research, like, because if you want to have kids, they're going to have to live here. And even if you don't want to have kids, like this is humanity, right? It's our moral responsibility to pass down the earth that we are supposed to be stewarding. And right now we're failing at doing that. There's a lot of barriers to entry that people can uh, identify when it comes to engaging and like more organized activism. I mean, volunteer service is great, but organizing takes it to another level in which you're able to, like I said, multiply your impact. So I would say like, even though it might seem daunting, you really don't have to go all into it. Organizations like, like Sunrise, like a local chapter like I'm in. Sometimes we just need people to show up somewhere and that is really meaningful. And that might just take like two hours out of your time of a month, whatever you can give. If you're already spending energy on volunteering, or if you're already spending energy, like hours of your life, sorting your recycling, which is important, but like, I'm not going to go into that. (laughs) But If you're spending hours of your time doing that, you could spend it helping like organize logistics for some event that we want to host or help writing testimony for something or help doing some type of smaller action. And if it does become something you're interested in, then you can dive in. But I think that's something that's kind of a conception. It's like the barriers to entry are really high, but they don't have to be. You just kind of like need to sit down, look at who you might want to work with, contact them, and they would be so happy to have another person in the mix.
0: You said that, that T word, you know, time, if we all just took, you know, the time to learn about, you know, what is it, what are steps that we can do to further protect and care for the planet we live on, take time to, uh, Properly recycle, not just throwing all types of uh, plastics and materials into that blue bin and, you know, and then taking time to um, volunteer and serve alongside, you know, service movements like you have uh, shared. Um, And so... Doesn't always have to be about the money, even though money helps. And so if there's mm-hmm. any billionaires listening, definitely uh, give towards agencies and organizations that are helping to make this place <laughs> livable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when I say time, like that's a barrier in it in and of itself. Working on any type of community work is like another job. But I guess what I'm saying is, in the time that we have available to us outside of our work is very limited. So like the prioritization of doing something more impactful over something that you've just been told you should do is really important. At least I think to me, like not to say that you shouldn't recycle, but it's not going to make that big of an impact, but one hour towards some type of group work is a huge impact that, I mean, we don't even have the ability to quantify that, but for example, we've been able to have some influence at like the city council level with the plans that are coming forth for climate change mitigation in the next 30 years in the city of Columbus. And we've had like a significant amount of input on that and we've seen it change based on our like hours of engagement that we've had with them. And it won't always work like that. Sometimes, you know, government bodies aren't really, like, willing to work with you in that way. But that's just an example of what you can do with an hour of your time versus, like, recycling two things, you know.
0: Is there a phrase that you would use as a beacon towards the work that you do?
1: There is that phrase of... Everyday life is political, like, especially for people who live in any um, type of socially marginalized group, like we don't get to separate ourselves from that. So what am I doing every day to further my own and our collective liberation? So that's one phrase. Everyday life is political that I turn to the joy is not separate from struggle So I try to remember that too, because when we are doing this work, like it can become very overwhelming and we have to take time to cultivate spaces that are healing for us as well and engage in joyful actions. And that in and of itself is a demonstration of power. So those are two phrases that I kind of like to turn to sometimes.
0: I have one more question for my final question. So Do you have any frustrations when it comes to the work that you're doing and how is it that you overcome, you know, those frustrations?
1: I think there are several because it's really hard work (laughs) because like no one's going to do it for you and no one's going to fund it for you. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of like labor of love. Situation. But one frustration that I run into, and I think people run into as a group, is like it's pretty hard to unify all of us. People who work in like justice areas, we're kind of siloed in a way. And I wish that it wasn't like that. I just kind of take that as a cue for myself to try and be someone who connects people together. And I actually really like to do that. So it's kind of like a natural way for me to kind of like contribute something. That's definitely a frustration. Another frustration that I have is like, and I try so hard not to let this push me to like take on too much work because it is definitely something that can push you there. But it's like, we are out of time. Some of this stuff, the minimal things that we need, like like a transition to clean energy, that need, that needed to happen so many years ago and the United States is still dragging its feet on it. So it's like a frustration of time being an actual constraint on us specifically in like environmental work, but also everything. I mean, it touches everything, right? Like the worse the climate crisis gets, the more that inequity will be like perpetuated if we're not ready. And the more that any of the work we do will become more difficult just because of physical constraints themselves. Time is something that's really frustrating to get around. But I try to just remember that everything has to as well, like take time and you can't rush through good work. Like you have to do it very intentionally. And that takes time and people are volunteering their own time. So we can't overload everyone. But I mean, the crisis is getting a lot more significant and it's only going to continue. So that's definitely one that I don't even really know the answer to, but it is something I think about a lot.
0: My final question is, you know, where can listeners find you online?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could follow me on social media. I have a link tree. It's link tree slash V. A-B-O-U-G. And that has like my LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and stuff on it. I would say follow our organizational account on all platforms. I think it's at Sunrise Columbus. Or you can go to our website, which is sunrisecbus.org. If you want to get involved with us there, you can like fill out our intake form, read about events that we have coming up, sign up like RSVP2 events, and also read our newsletter and just like see what we're up to. So check us out if you're interested and we're always looking for people to join. And if it's not a good fit for you, we also regularly direct people to other orgs that might be more of what they're looking for. So we're really interested in just bringing people into the movement at large And I say at large to mean like the justice movement at large and all of its intersecting areas. So I would be happy to do that as well.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for telling us who you are telling us your story and your work and your fight.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.